Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food. Arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Your Ben Jarofsky Show for Wednesday, August 12th (laughs) is just moments away. But before we do this, let's thank the following unions for sponsoring this podcast. Unions like the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150 are sponsors, as well as our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Rediscover our fascinating city this summer on a walking tour from the Chicago Architecture Center, now open and adhering to public health safety standards. Our entertaining and expertly trained docents will guide you through the Chicago you've been longing to explore, from magnificent downtown architecture to awe-inspiring neighborhood gems. If it's worth seeing, we'll take you there. Get tickets at architecture.org forward slash tours. The stories of the city begin at the CAC. Let me tell you about voting by mail. It's pretty cool. Voting by mail ensures equitable access for everyone. Normally, vote-by-mail applications are filled out online or in person. This creates a burden for people with limited access to transportation or Internet services. Disproportionately, the elderly or people of color who are among those at greatest risk from COVID-19. Because of the pandemic, a law was passed in Illinois for November requiring vote-by-mail applications be sent to anyone who voted in 2018, 2019, or the 2020 primary. This falls short of what is needed particularly since these elections saw low turnout. We need to expand access. Mail-in voting is the best way to ensure everyone's voice can be heard safely. We can help expand voting access in Chicagoland by asking officials to send every eligible voter a vote-by-mail application. So visit VoteMailChicago.com. That's VoteMailChicago.com for call scripts and a petition. One more time. Vote. V-O-T-E. Mail. M-A-I-L. Chicago. C-H-I-C-A-G-O. Dot com to make sure that every voter in Cook County has safe and equitable polling. That's correct. Uh, how are we feeling today, by the way, Ben? Feeling pretty good. Got up really early today. Hey, you had, a, interesting you had a dentist appointment, right? Well, I just had to do some things, some errands. I got up. I was dentist time, man. I'm up. It was like seven <laughs> o'clock. You know, all I saw were people chopping wood. And oh, like, we know what, what that I? means on the Ben Jarofsky show. So. <laughs> 
Uh, and uh, so, yeah, I've been up. I'm, now I know what the rest of you are like. And I'm like, I'm going back to my rock star hours, like Ray Davies. Okay. <laughs> Sleep till noon, roll out of bed. Blah. So at, uh, live streamers, you got a little bit of a, we broke the fourth wall for you a little bit. If we're going through the show and you hear a. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I think there is. <laughs> One, uh, oh God, yeah, uh, planned. All right, all right. Your yes. so, let's do the song of the day here. Your song of the day comes from Frank. Uh, it's from an awesome artist here. Uh, nine to five by Dolly Parton. Oh, working nine to five. Hey, what a way to make! I love Dolly Parton. Great movie, by the way. Da, 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 Woo, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> the Ben Jarofsky Show starts now. It is Wednesday, August twelfth, and live from. My apartment and Ben's attic. This is the Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, we're talking what else? Kamala Harris with political strategist Delmarie Cobb and legendary Chicago journalist Monroe Anderson. Now your host, Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Kamala Kool-Aid Wednesday, and here's why. You want to know why? Why? Because I'm drinking that Kamala Kool-Aid. That's why. Ever since Joey B selected Kamala as his VP. How about that? D arrives. Joey B selected Kamala as his VP. Well, your rap Uh, career can finally begin. (laughs) Uh, you know, Frank had me sing nine to five, but I was ready to sing uh, Promises. Pro- I've been singing Promises, Promises, an ancient Broadway song that nobody knows. Ever since I heard uh, Kamala was selected, only I've been singing instead of Promises, Promises, that I've been singing Kamala, Kamala, Kamala. I don't think anybody in America is excited by this pick as me. In fact, I can tell you right now. Nobody in America has excited me. Hold on. I need to take some more of the Kool-Aid, D. There's a lot of negativity out there about Kamala Harris. I'm going to have some of this Kool-Aid. It's so good. Hold on. Yeah, there you go. Live streamers and people who've listened to the show for a while. Mm. The bit is back. The Kool-Aid bit. Ah, the Kamala Kool-Aid. Got to drink that Kamala Kool-Aid. Now, as everybody knows, this is not my first drink from this well. Oh, no. As you recall, I was soaking up the Kool-Aid by the bucketful last summer during debates. Uh, Dennis, uh, could you do me a favor? Uh, hmm. p- uh, play uh, <laughs> uh, Bent. <laughs> to pl- <laughs> Sorry, Mr. Bike. Um, uh, Dennis, play Ben uh, talks about Kamala from last summer, okay? <laughs> D, I just got to tell you, I love Kamala. Actually, that wasn't the tape. That is because I'm too busy to call up these tapes. Just do them yourself. But I was saying that. It might as well have been the tape. Because if you were listening, you know I was like singing her praises. Kamala, Kamala, Kamala. I was excited. You know why? I was excited because she went so strong at Joe Biden. I think it was the first debate or the second debate. I can't remember anymore. God damn, man. That was like a year ago, right? It was a COVID ago. But it was one of those first two debates. She went at him strong. I came back. D. I was all excited the next day. I'm like, gee, this, this Kamala Harris, this, she can go strong at Trump. 
She's going to come hard at Trump. She, you see what she did to Joey B last night? And Dennis is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny. I'm like the old guy and he's the young guy, but I'm still like the young guy. I get all excited about these candidates. And Dee's like, I've been there, seen that, done it all. Yeah, man. <laughs> anyway. And I'm for the really old guy, Bernie. Yeah, you love Bernie. I love Bernie, too. Okay, let the record stay. Oh, where's that Bernie uh, Kool-Aid uh, there? You know? Oh, nowhere to be found. Uh, $27. <laughs> anyway, my Bernie invitation's not as good as Dennis's. That's uh, true. Uh, but uh, anyway, uh, my... Um, uh, my enthusiasm for Kamala was not not matched, to put it mildly, uh, by my guests, either the guests of the leftist persuasions, of which there are many on my show, or the centrist persuasions. Uh, the lefties called her a cop. Remember that, D? Uh, they recalled her moment in the debate. I think it was the third debate, the one after the debate where she went after Biden. Maybe it was the second. Who knows? Stop asking me which debate it was. Uh, when uh, Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard went at Kamala Hart with that question about her prosecuting reefer uh, users back in California when she was the uh, district attorney. And uh, Kamala's response to that uh, head on punch from uh, Tulsa Gabbard was a little weak. Uh, Dennis, could you uh, could you could you play uh, Kamala's response? That again, once again, is not Kamala's response. We didn't have time to go dig up Kamala's response. We think this is the Joe Rogan show. We got time to do that kind of stuff. Huh? Just take my word for it. Her her basic response was, I don't know what to say. (laughs) Oh, well, you got me there. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. I want reefer legalized. But when I had a chance to do something about our storm people in jail, uh, could you ask me another question? All right, look, nobody's perfect, okay? No one's perfect. Even I'm not perfect, all right? Lefties, go easy on Kamala. Anyway, the centrist didn't like her uh, that much either, uh, much to my surprise. Uh, And that was because she was not Joe Biden. As everybody knows, my centrist guests love Joe Biden. (laughs) Never quite understood what they saw in Joe Biden, but they saw a lot. And I I think I kind of understand it. They sort of viewed Joe Biden as a calm reason, a funkular figure that middle America swing voters wanted to turn to uh, as an alternative to Trump. And they found it reassuring when uh, Joe Biden went on one of his little Biden uh, talks. Uh, 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 Dennis. uh, You're kidding. (laughs) Play Biden being reassuring. Oh, play the record. Play, play, play the record. Listen to words. Uh, Once again, ladies and gentlemen, that was me. (laughs) Actually, Dennis, you could have played that one. I think that's... uh, Always close. I didn't want you to work too hard, D. We all get, Dennis got up early today, too. He didn't want to work harder. You neither did I. Anyway, uh, apparently Joe Biden and his aides, his uh, presidential advisors, uh, look at it this way. If lefties don't love Kamala and centrists don't love Kamala, she's perfect. Play the radio. Make sure the television, excuse me, make sure you have the record player on at night. The the, the phone, make sure the kids hear words. Who said that? Yeah, make sure they hear words, D, okay? All right. Meanwhile, 
I think my favorite part of the whole Kamala Harris uh, bit in the last 24 hours is uh, MAGA doesn't know what to do. MAGA, of course, is what Donald Trump calls his empire of followers who will follow whatever command he says. If he says, go off that cliff, they will go off that cliff. If he says, eat that dog food, they will eat that dog food. If he says, say that dog food is steak, they'll go, it's steak tartare. Anyway, that's how MAGA uh, responds to Donald Trump. So on one hand, MAGA is they get their talking points from Donald Trump and the White House. On one hand, they're bashing Kamala as a radical leftist and uh, saying that she's just going to lead this country to ruin with her Marxist like ideology. Uh, on the other hand, they're bashing her as a Wall Street sellout. Yeah, <laughs> uh, they're trying to say that she's uh, what, somehow or other more conservative than they are when it comes to Wall Street. Not quite sure how this is going to work. Then this is something you need to know, folks, when you consider Trump's reaction to absolutely anything. The Trump reelection plan is contingent on two factors. Number one, strong turnout from the MAGA loving base, hence the need to depict Kamala as a radical lefty. Number two, weak turnout from lefties, hence the need to portray her as a Wall Street sellout. Look, Trump does not care if he's saying two completely contradictory things at once. MAGA is really unanchored when it comes to core principles. They'll do anything Donald Trump tells them. Thus, on the local level, they're like Joe Friday when it comes to Michael Madigan and his alleged corruption. It's like, he's a crook. He's a boss. He's a hack. Throw him in jail. But when it comes to Trump's lawlessness, they're sort of like Sergeant Schultz. I see nothing. I see nothing. At this point, I want to apologize for those baby boomer references. D, I couldn't help myself, Okay. You're a baby boomer. Yeah, I'm a baby boomer. I've really been confronting that fact more and more. Anyway. Oh, and according to the me. live stream chat, I'm a, uh, a wannabe Gen Xer. So uh, how did that happen? Hold on. With, with baby boomer under ties. So. Uh, okay. By the way, wait, hold on. Mm. Just another little sip of that Kamala Kool-Aid. I'm really fired up. Kamala, 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 Kamala. We got a great show today, everybody. Yes, indeed, Delmarie Cobb. She's fired up. I did the pre-show talk with her. I was like, Delmarie, save it for the show. Save it for the show. She's got a lot to say about Kamala and Trump and Biden, local politics as well. Dee, we're probably going to play her some of that uh, Lori Lightfoot uh Stuff you got there. Uh, Monroe Anderson, the legendary Monroe Anderson. He's all fired up. I think he's about as excited as I am. Yeah, I think he has a Kamala T-shirt and he's going to be wearing it today. Uh, and he'll be talking about uh, uh, Democratic politics. And then uh, we're going to do a four o'clock drop. We're not going to keep the tape in the bank for when we're gone. We're going to have David Seaton. Oh, my God. <laughs> David Seaton loves Kamala Harris. Well, it'll be a yeah. seven o'clock drop. It'll be available tonight at 7 p.m. I sit corrected. Both Chicago Sun Times and Chicago Reader websites and wherever else. You download By the way, I have a question for you. What? Um, and I didn't mean to cut you off. Say that again. It's very important. Just and, say the way you just said. And wherever else you download your favorite podcast. Yeah, Ben, what's there. up? 
Okay. Um, so I noticed something before I came on the air. I was like checking out Twitter. Okay. See what was trending on Twitter and trending on Twitter is that Tucker Carlson mispronounces Kamala Harris's name. The question for you, young Dennis, is Tucker Carlson mispronouncing Kamala Harris's name because he, like me, uh, stumbles on names? Or is he mispronouncing Kamala Harris's name because he wants to insult her and intentionally mispronounce her name? B. Questions to you. B. <laughs> it's like when he calls Don Lemon Don Lemon. <laughs> He's a clever guy. Number one guy in the uh, number one watch TV show in the country, ladies and gentlemen. I just read an article about billions are flocking to Fox. I mean, why can't we get billions to listen to our show, D, huh? You got to do more twi- Twitter. That's the key. You got to do more Twitter. Anyway, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that'll do it. And you, well, you watch people in Georgia, they listen to our show like crazy. It's like they listen to uh, Tucker Carlson. All right, uh, Don Lamont. I did not know he called him Don Lamont. That's actually kind of funny in a really obnoxious way. Uh, Del Marie Cobb, Monroe Anderson, uh, David Seaton. Lots of political talk ahead before we do that. The young man from Alton with the news. Hey there, I'm Dennis. It's true, Joe Biden has selected Senator Kamala Harris as his vice presidential candidate. Yeah, the lady who trashed him on national television right to his face a little over a year ago. Vice President Biden, do you agree today, do you agree today that you were wrong to oppose busing in America then? Do you agree? I did not oppose busing in America. What I opposed (laughs) is busing ordered by the Department of Education. That's what I oppose. Well, I there did was not a failure of, of states to, to integrate no, public schools in America. I was part of the, the second class to integrate Berkeley, the, California public schools almost two decades after Brown v. Board of Education. Because your city council made that decision. It was a so local decision. So that's where the federal government must step now, in. That's why we have the Voting Rights Act and the Civil Rights Act. Please contain your excitement, moderate liberals. Please. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it's uh that I, that's when I heard oh yeah she's that's good good playing D by the way that's that, that that's like that that's counterpunch I'm looking to see that counterpunch against Mike Pence when they have the vice presidential debates if we ever have any debates of any kind yeah I want to see that Kamala and of course oh, go no one else was excited about it because well within a week uh, she Tulsi Gabbard here with a. Uh, a left upper hook. But anyway, go ahead. Well, not a lot of people are excited, uh, especially on the live stream chat at the moment. Uh, our good friend Brianna weighed in. She said, I think Ben's the only person I've seen so far who's fired up about Kamala. Most people are responding with, yawn. I uh, I had to say, I think you're right. I may be the, I, I like, I texted this out, Brianna, to so many different people last night. It's Kamala. It's Kamala. Uh, and uh, yeah, not a lot of, I think, a lot of people are preoccupied. Uh, a lot of people uh, figured it was going to happen anyway. Uh, so, you know, the, she did not do that well herself. Apparently, I was the only one who was ever drinking from the Kamala Kool-Aid. And that was pretty much clear. I can't recall any guests coming into the studio last summer who was uh, fired up for Kamala. Do you? I don't think so. Um, like, uh, uh, no. I don't I, I, uh, no, uh, so Brandon, you're right. I'm the only one. I was like, oh, yeah, come on, Dems. Yeah, I, I took a, I took just a little sip of the Kool Aid last summer just to see uh, what Ben was ranting and raving about. Very bland, this Kool Aid. Yeah, yeah, no, but then I gotta tell you, the Tulsi Gabbard counterpunch. Within a week, I was like, Kamala, Kamala. 
Uh, she still was like always around the fourth or fifth pick. Remember, I was ranking them in those days, D. It's like uh, uh, that Kool Aid you taste with, with with too much water, very watered down. But uh, ever since uh, this news broke, right after our program ended, couldn't have announced it when we were doing the show, huh? Come on! But uh, ever since the news broke, everyone has been wondering. What our host, Ben Jarofsky, has to say about it. In fact, last night, we received a voicemail regarding the news. Shout out to our good friend on the live stream chat, one Dragon Slayer 19. Uh, Dragon Slayer 19 was kind enough to take a gigantic technological step <laughs> backwards and called the show on the phone. Yes. Uh, let's hear what Dragon Slayer 19 has to say. Uh, by the way, uh, if you're listening to this, you can do the same. Leave the Ben Jarofsky show a voicemail, won't you? 708-658-4788. That number again, 708-658-4788. And you know, if it isn't insane, we'll more than likely play it. All right. Here's Dragon Slayer 19 with his thoughts on Biden's VP pick, one Kamala Harris. Okay, he called me Dr. Doobie. Hold on, I got to get the settings on my phone oh, here. Right? Come on, he's not I'm, Dr. Doobie. Yeah, come on, man. What are you doing to me here? All right, so let me get it fired up again. For some reason, it didn't work. Uh, hang tight. We'll definitely be editing this out of uh, today's oh, program. No. <laughs> Poor podcast. I've been in uh, Dr. Doobie White Lightning. Uh, this is Dragonflayer19 calling in from the <laughs> Chicagoland area. I uh, just wanted to uh, comment on what I'm sure is the uh, biggest news story of today, which is uh, Kamala Harris being picked as VP. Now, I know that uh, Ben is ecstatic and that today we'll probably have the big reveal that the reason why we haven't been able to see him is that this whole time he's been stocking up his Kamala Kool-Aid and we can finally see it on that brand new uh, video camera. Uh, but for the rest of us, I want to just offer us a little bit of glimmer of hope. And that uh, if uh, Biden and Harris win, uh, we can finally uh, replace Harris with a senator from California who doesn't believe in locking up uh, parents uh, for their kids' truancy, but does believe in prosecuting uh, Steve Mnuchin. Um, so I'm happy to uh, say that we might have the chance of having like Karen Bass, Barbara Lee, Ro Khanna, even Katie Porter as a uh, new senator from California. Um, though I know Ben uh, will wish that... Uh, his second favorite congressman, the congressperson from uh, California, gets elevated after Nancy Pelosi, uh, Adam Schiff. Uh, so I hope that doesn't happen, but you never know. Anyways, uh, thanks for the show, and uh, good luck to everyone. Oh, thank oh you, Dragon Slayer. Yeah. Oh, that was a lot. So there you go. That's, that's a nice spin on it. What do you think? So with Kamala out as senator in yeah. California, we'll have a new California senator. What do you think about that? I think that's a great. Uh, I got to give Dragon Slayer credit. Even I, the visionary, did not think that far ahead. See, Dragon, there's those people who play chess, me, and the, uh, excuse me, I got it wrong. Those people who play chess, Dragon Slayer, and those people who play checkers, me. And uh, he's thinking three steps ahead. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. Who, it would be Gavin Newsom's pick, uh, I presume, uh, Dragon Slayer. Would he take Karen Bass? Would he take Rokana? Wow. Or would he? T he's definitely not taking Nancy Pelosi. Nancy Pelosi is holding the Democrats together for better or for worse. Many of my listeners, uh, I see you, Babs, think for the worse. I think for the better. She's holding the Democrats together in the Congress. So he's definitely not going to take her. Uh, but, eh, Karen Bass, maybe. Could be uh, Karen Bass. That would make sense. So, yeah, there's the bright side of it. The, the reality is this is a very mainstream pick. 
And uh, that's the theme that Joe Biden is trying to articulate. He's trying to tell a, a swing voter America that he is reassuring a vuncular figure who can replace Trump, bring the country together, lower the volume. That's what the Biden campaign is all about. It's not about uh, proclaiming great new progressive ideas. Uh, they're not even that new, actually. Health care for all has been around since the 40s, uh, like Bernie Sanders is, for instance. But uh, he's just trying to project that calm. And uh, I think Kamala Harris fits in well with that overall strategy. She's not going to scare anybody. And by the way, all the things that uh, people on my show criticize her for, the um, her hard on crime uh, past when she was a prosecutor back in California, that may play well in the electorate. We're going to hear that a lot of that, I know, from David Seaton and Monroe Anderson. But uh, that's the reality. That may uh, play well in this age where we just, like, Yesterday, we were talking about the looting that went on in Chicago uh, on uh, Monday morning. So uh, I got to think, even if it doesn't fire up the lefty, uh, all the people in lefty land, it was a shrewd move. But hey, call us up. Leave us a voicemail, just like Dragon Slayer 19, 708 658 And hey, Wait, I, hold on. What? Can I just say one thing? Are you drinking uh, Kool-Aid again? No, no. Wait, hold, oh. On. Oh, hold on. Oh, God. Shouldn't even brought it up. Mm, so delicious. Uh, Dragon Slayer, I got a cup here for you. You'll have it. And next thing you know, be going, oh, my God, I love her. Uh, <laughs> since you um, since you read, uh, since you played uh, Dragon Slayer's uh, comments, I just had to read this letter that I got. It was pretty funny. Dave. I told you I was going to read this. Uh, let's hope I can find it. Damn. Ah, here it is. Uh, so anyway, as uh, people know, last week I wrote a column in the reader uh, blasting Bill Clinton. So I was sick and tired of him. Didn't want to see him anymore. Uh, and no sooner did I write that column, uh, than the Democrats, uh, Joe Biden, etc., uh, publicized that Bill Clinton, they announced that Bill Clinton will be given a speaking role at the democratic convention. So I said, Dems cut the cord. Do not allow Bill Clinton to uh, be affiliated with your brand anymore. And what do they do? They go, they invite him as a speaker. So I wrote this up for the reader in the reader newsletter yesterday, and it was sent out. And I got the following letter uh, from a woman I'll call Debbie, because I guess that's her name. Hey, Debbie. Uh, and uh, so, well, Debbie was not really pleased with what I wrote, uh, D. I think she's a Bill Clinton fan. She wrote, I thought the original piece you wrote was thought provoking. In the end, I was still up in the air, but you had made me reconsider this thought or that. Now this email, and all I am thinking is, what a whiny little beep. <laughs> Debbie, man, pulling Debbie, no punches. She just brings that tough game. It's about you, I guess. My mistake. Debbie, first time, last time reader. Debbie didn't like the story. So, Debbie, let me just make a plea to you. Come on. Why don't you give me as many chances as you give Bill Clinton? All right? Bill Clinton had, like, he took the country down in the 90s with his philandering, led to the impeachment. We all rallied around him. And what's the first thing he does? Hops on that airplane with Jeffrey Epstein to fly around the world. So I'm just saying, you gave him another chance. Give me another chance. I think that was whining, D. I'm going to say without whining. 
Uh, and hey, Debbie, you know, uh, there's other good things on the reader, all right? Like, you know why? I was going to say concert listings, but those aren't going on. Just a lot of good stuff on the reader. Don't don't completely uh, abandon the reader because uh, old hippie Jarofsky. <laughs> yeah, it's too hard on Clinton. All right. All right. Anyway, ChicagoReader.com. Go check it out and subscribe to the Chicago Reader. They have a great coloring book out. Okay. Uh, let's find out what's happening in Chicago and or Illinois this afternoon. First up, it's the Illinois governor. Illinois is a state with a grand history of profound impact on our nation and our world. We've sent four transformative presidents to the White House. We were the first... All right, actually, JB, I'm going to have to cut you off there, buddy. You're getting a little long-winded. Our time is limited today. We have Delmarie Cobb coming on at 1.30, and we played Dragon Slayer's voicemail. Uh, maybe we'll hear from you a little later on on uh, what, all the bragging about Illinois. Uh, actually, who am I kidding? We won't, because today Governor Pritzker is giving his Illinois COVID-19 update at 2.30, and we will be providing details on that before today's show ends. All right, so that's the Pritzker portion of our local news segment. Now to the news in the city of Chicago. Uh, no public events scheduled for our Chicago Mayor, Lori Lightfoot. Don't bait us. Oh, we weren't baiting you, but anyway. Uh, she's had a few uh, busy days here, so I'm assuming she's laying low today. But she did make an appearance on national television this morning. She was on MSNBC's Morning Joe. The mayor spoke on the unfortunate events that went down Sunday night, and she was also asked her opinion on who else? Senator, now vice presidential candidate, Kamala Harris. And Ben, I know you disagree with the mayor on matters like TIFFs. The Chicago Teachers Union, the police, the role of our state's attorney. Seriously, dude, why did you vote for her again? Uh, can I get back to you on that one day? Uh, let me, I'll get back to you, okay? But unlike all of that, I think you're going to see eye to eye with Lori Lightfoot on her thoughts on Kamala Harris. We have the audio. Like to hear it? Here it goes. Shout out to MSNBC. Please don't sue us. Takes a cop to know a cop in three, two, one. Kamala Harris, uh, to be Joe Biden's running mate, you know her. What's your gut about what she'll bring to the table? Well, look, um, what I've heard and seen all over the country is a tremendous level of excitement. Um, not only is she um, exciting uh, the South Asian community, uh, the Indian community, the, the black community, um, but women, I think, also an important demographic and really shoring that up uh, and giving people hope. You know, this has been a very, very difficult time for people all over the country, and we need something to rally around. And I think her uh, addition to the ticket really gives people um, that thread of hope that we've all been looking for, um, the level of excitement and happiness. I'll just tell you, my 12-year-old daughter was beside herself with joy yesterday <laughs> when she heard the news. She's sipping the Kool-Aid as well. Ben, your thoughts? Wow. <laughs> well, I'm with the 12-year-old daughter. Finally, somebody else who agrees with me. Uh, my, my, my first thought was a very cynical and jaded one. A word of warning to Kamala Harris. Look out. Lori may love you today, but look out for that bus tomorrow. Kim Fox like. No, that's just so cynical, D. I'm really sorry. Listen, we all got to get together. All the anti-Trumpers out there in the world. And this is the ticket. This is the alternative. This is the game that we got. I, uh, I hope there's nobody out there seriously considering voting for Kanye West. By the way, I just saw this uh, uh, this funny bit where um, 
uh, Kanye West lawyers are arguing that the, the, the judge should allow the Mickey Mouse signatures that were collected on the Kanye West uh, to stand because <laughs> the other side, the Dems, can't prove that the person who signed it wasn't, in fact, Mickey Mouse. Anyway, uh, that's what it's come down to. So we have no choice. And uh, Kamala Harris, I actually like her. I realize that um, lefties don't trust her, uh, don't like the stand she took back in the uh, O's uh, when it came to marijuana and the prosecution of marijuana. And uh, I didn't like it either, but I have got to move on uh, because this is, as I figured, this is a, the ultimate showdown. This is the ultimate political showdown, I have to say, of in my lifetime. Donald Trump's presidency, is, I view it as an existential threat. I don't know where Joe Biden will take us. Uh, I don't have a lot of confidence that he's going to be the next FDR. But at this point, I don't care, D. Uh, and so, uh, yes, Lori Lightfoot, you and I are on the same page for the moment when it comes to Kamala Harris. But wait, there's more. She's a lawyer's lawyer. I mean, we've seen that on display yeah. over and over again in various committee hearings certainly during the impeachment process, and more recently um, in her questioning of Attorney General Barr. She is somebody who understands the importance of the rule of law, understands the importance of making sure that victims have a seat at the table and that they've got a real advocate um, in the prosecutor's office in civil courts. So I think she will be a beacon of hope for those of us who have been despairing about Trump just completely abandoning the rule of law and really trying to subvert the courts, uh, the prosecutor's offices to bend to his will. We need to make sure that the rule of law stands for something in this country. And Kamala Harris is absolutely the embodiment of that. She's a lawyer's lawyer. Yeah, lawyer's lawyer. All right. That doesn't really excite me. <laughs> lawyer's lawyer. I don't know. Huh? Somewhere else. A lawyer's lawyer. Uh, here, the interesting thing about Trump. I, I got at this earlier in the show. They're going to try to have it two different ways. So uh, I know that they're going to bring up those uh, the issue of marijuana prosecutions back in the O's when Kamala Harris was the uh, prosecutor in California. I know they're going to bring that up. And I also know they're going to try to present Donald Trump as this very compassionate uh, leader when it comes to prisoners, uh, which is complete and utter joke, because what he's trying to do uh, is stir up like a race war uh, to frighten white voters into abandoning Joe Biden's campaign as somehow or other linking it to lawlessness and looting, etc. So on the one hand, he's going to be telling uh, lefties, oh, uh, you know, uh, Kamala Harris was uh, too tough uh, on uh, dope dealers back in the O's or too tough on people smoking reefer back in the O's. And then on the other hand, they're going to be just pounding away at the lawlessness and the leftiness and the overall radicalness. I mean, they try to turn Lori Lightfoot into a radical mayor. Or, or they say, sometimes when they're not trying to do that, they go, well, she's controlled by the radical fringe. Uh, so I, I would just urge absolutely everybody to try to divorce themselves from what Donald Trump and the Republicans uh, have to say about the Democratic ticket. All right. I'm uh, sending Delmarie Cobb an invite to Google Meet. And while we wait for Delmarie, we got one more clip to play. Let's hear from a feller named Jason Johnson. What would you like to see her do and her propose as a mayor that would help you when it comes to issues like criminal justice and police brutality that you wrestle with in your city? Well, look, I think first and foremost, she understands the importance of supporting mayors and supporting cities. 
I've had numerous conversations with her, and it's clear to me that she gets it. These are difficult issues, and it gives this conversation that we're having locally and nationally really gives us an opportunity to right past wrongs and move forward. But we've got to do it in a way where we find common ground and we're unified in our approach. And I think Kamala Harris understands that. Obviously, Joe Biden gets it. He spent a lot of time talking to mayors, not just me, but Keisha Lance Bottoms, and really mayors across the country, because he understands the importance of making sure that local voices have a seat at the table. It'll be a welcome change from what we've been experiencing the last four years. Uh, I hope so. Uh, Donald Trump has used Chicago as a punching bag. Uh, uh, city of Chicago is a symbol to Donald Trump to use to fire up uh, his base. We all know what's going on. We absolutely know what's going on. And I do have sympathy uh, for Lori Lightfoot when she has to stand up the next day uh, after the looting that went down uh, Monday. What was it? Monday morning. She has to come before the press and present uh, the, the face of Chicago's leadership in the aftermath of that uh, in a city where there's everybody is like tense and on edge. And then you have Donald Trump stirring it up. So I do have sympathy for her in that front D. I realize she's in a very precarious situation. No mayor, as I said yesterday or the day before, no mayor has confronted uh, these kinds of challenges since you got to go back to Mayor Richard J. Daley uh, in the 1960s. And I don't believe he did a very good job of dealing with it. Uh, certainly Mayor Richard M. Daley didn't have to deal with stuff like this. And Rom, of course, Let's not even talk about Rom. The guy had it so easy and he just made a mess out of everything. So I do have some sympathy uh, for Lori Life. I have to say that even if I don't agree with her on TIFFs or CTU or funding police or a couple other things. But uh, that Kamala friend. thing, man, you guys are eye to eye. We're eye to eye. We're eye to eye. We love, we're, we're both drinking the Kamala Kool-Aid and I'm very excited. I'm, I'm like Lori Lightfoot's daughter. I'm really excited. Like, Come on, D, show some excitement for crying out loud, all right? Don't be so jaded and cynical. Put down the bong and be happy, okay? Uh, okay, I haven't smoked pot in like a month, but anyway. I know. Uh, By the way, congratulations <laughs> on that, all right? Thanks. Uh, Yay for our teachers. Yay for our teachers. <laughs> All right. So that is uh, the portion of Lori Lightfoot's interview with uh, MSNBC Morning Joe, Ben's favorite program. Uh, they were talking about uh, the news of the day, probably the news of the week. Kamala Harris uh, has been selected as the vice presidential candidate for one Joe Joseph Biden. Play the radio. Make sure the television, the, excuse me, make sure you have the record player on at night. The, the, the phone. Make sure the kids hear work. I have two yeah. more clips of audio to play. Uh, they asked Lori about uh, everything that went down on Sunday night and also uh, her thoughts on Trump. We're going to play that a little later on. Uh, and I want to remind everybody, too, uh, all next week, we're going to be gone. All right. We're taking a little vacation. Ben's taking a little vacation, a much needed vacation. Ben's ready Thank to you. kick back, relax and <laughs> smoke a doobie uh, <laughs> and, and drink that damn Kool-Aid. Uh, uh, so we're going to be taking the week off. But do not worry. Uh, live streamers, uh, people who listen on YouTube, you can check out uh, new interviews, new Ben Jarofsky interviews uh, all next week. You're going to have to download them at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites or wherever else you download your favorite podcast. Yes, while we're away, new interviews for you to play at both Chicago Sun-Times
Amazon Times and Chicago Reader websites and wherever else you download your favorite podcasts. Believe it or not, uh, most of our live stream chat, not that excited about uh, Joe Biden's pick, but live stream chat, seriously, what were you expecting, guys? Obviously, he was going to pick Kamala Harris. Uh, a lot of people given our uh, Benjarovsky show guest Sergio Mims a hard time. Uh, Triple J weighed in, said uh, Sergio said Kamala had no chance. Don't take Sergio to the casino with you anytime you go. Sergio, who did I know? Sergio, uh, yeah. Uh, he, let me defend Sergio. Okay. He, he had that great line about John Cass, which, uh, really was good about, uh, how John Cass wrote these columns for the Tribune. It was uh, the theme of which each one is how much better Chicago would be if black people didn't labor. That was what Sergio Mims said. So, you know, he got some things right. Uh, but yeah, he was so wrong. Oh my God. I can't remember. He, every time you come on the show, he had a different candidate, Sergio, I'm giving you grief, but, um, we still love you. We'll bring you back. Uh, but yeah. Uh, do not follow Sergio's advice when it comes to putting money down in Vegas. Uh, but didn't everybody else pretty much do have to go back and look? I, we asked a lot of guests to make predictions. You ever notice, I've, I just love this, when you ask a, a guest to make a prediction, they immediately start talking about who they want. I go, okay, that's not the question. Answer the question. So uh, at least Sergio got the ground rules right day okay remember he was for a while he was saying it was going to be gretchen whitmer the uh the the governor of michigan that was his uh big prediction so all right anyway. uh let's see here uh well jeff jeff is on the positive side of things thank you very much jeff for reaching out here uh he says uh biden and harris is the first step remove donald trump then progressives will have to get active in the democratic party what do you have to think about that uh, that's absolutely the case and uh, i've also look i like to tease uh, joe biden because I just like to tease politicians in general. But he has uh, drifted left uh, since uh, the start of the uh, election season. And uh, he's far to the left of where Donald Trump is. Just think about what Donald Trump has just proposed in his executive order, which I haven't had a chance to talk about. His his executive order would give a a deferral on uh, the the tax, the payroll tax, which would have a, a... a terrible blow uh, to Social Security and Medicare. So just that thought alone, it's like, what are you up to, Donald Trump? And this is uh, why I say it's a very serious threat, ex- existential threat uh, that Donald Trump uh, represents. All right, Delmarie Cop, do we have her uh, on the, uh, the our great Google Meet team? Delmarie, are you there? Hi, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yes, you sound loud and clear, and thank you very much uh, for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Delmarie Cobb, a political strategist and uh, former aide to uh, Jesse Jackson in 1988 when he was running for president of the United States, so she knows a thing or two about trying to find support for a progressive candidate uh, for president and also a big supporter of promoting black women in politics. So, Delmarie, uh, what's your thoughts, uh, just general thoughts about Kamala Harris being being selected as vice president uh, nom- candidate. Well, I had written a column last week talking about the importance of having a black woman selected for the vice president. Hey, hey uh, Del Marie, uh, I, we talked about this earlier. I think your headphones may be uh, giving us an echo effect, if you, if at all possible, if you could unplug those. No, I was just doing it through the computer. I'm oh, sorry. Okay. Um, all right. Well, uh, we'll 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 take you any way we can get you. Should I turn this? 
Should I turn the, uh, the volume down on my computer? Yeah, try and turn the volume down on your computer. See if that helps us out. Can you hear me? Yep. Yes. Yep, we can hear you, Delmarie. Can you hear us? Okay, hold on one second. I'm sorry. That's okay. Yeah, now I do. Is All right. Still getting uh, feedback? Uh, a little bit of little feedback, bit. but we'll, we'll take what we can get. Okay. Go ahead, Delmarie. Okay, I'm sorry. I had written a column uh, a week ago talking about the importance of selecting um, black women as vice presidential uh, running mate for Joe Biden because given the history of black women and the voting prowess of black women, uh, which has been demonstrated since 2008, I thought it was important that at this time, uh, since Biden had made it clear that he certainly was considering a, a woman of color, and uh, that he choose a black woman. And so we're very happy that he has chosen a black woman. And what I'm more happy about is that it was a long list of qualified black women. Uh, unlike when we were looking at potential Supreme Court nominees, it was a short list. And the definition of shortlist at that time was one black person being on the list. Mm -hmm. This time, it was a long list. And that shows you how deep the bench is in the black women's community. All right, Delmarie, let's talk about the two impacts uh, that uh, Kamala Harris selection has on the campaign. One is symbolic and the other is pragmatic or practical. Uh, so let's deal with the symbolic one first and then we'll get to the pragmatic. What's the symbolic importance of it? Well, the, symbolics, the symbolic importance is for little black girls to see themselves in a position that is one heartbeat away from the White House. That is the most important symbolism because whether there is a black father in the house, there is a black mother, a black aunt, a black grandmother. And so for little black girls, this is very, very important because it says that you can achieve the highest office by working hard and you have gone through one more barrier. There are many barriers and even though it's 2020, we're still seeing firsts in terms of black people. We have not reached the point where we're not still experiencing firsts. So this is a very important symbol for little black girls, first of all. Pragmatically, it's a way to acknowledge, as I said earlier, the fact that black women are the most loyal base of the Democratic Party, yet we have nothing to show for it in many ways. The issues that are typically talked about are, um, are pushed forward by white women, and that's something that I talk about all the time, is that African-American women have to start creating their own narrative around the issues that are important to us. And I always give the example of when women's, white women say that a woman makes 79 cents to every dollar a man makes. Well, women of color, specifically black women, make 64 cents, Latinas make 63 cents. 
And so if we're starting at 79 cents, we're leaving out a whole group of women. And so why aren't we starting at 63 cents? And one of the things I often say during my speeches is that when black women win, all women win. Yeah, that is a refrain I remember very clearly. I don't know, if maybe you wrote it for him. Uh, Jesse Jackson used to say that all the time in 1988. He would say, uh, when black people come out to vote, uh, union people win. When black people come out to vote, environmental people win. Uh, when black people come out to vote, uh, the um, uh, women's rights movement wins and a reproductive rights movement win. His point being uh, that... Uh, uh, black voters tend to vote Democratic, tend to tend to vote for these issues that white people care about. And so it's really important for white people to care about the impact of all these issues on black people as well. Sometimes it's not a two way street, Delmarie Cobb. Oftentimes it's not a two way street. And that's why, you know, we've had this conversation many times, Ben, where I've talked about the difference between white progressives and black progressives. Uh, and, and the fact that I've talked about relational uh, relationships and transactional relationships. And white people tend, when it comes to black people, tend to have transactional relationships. Um, so, you know, you can't always count on their relationship because it comes and goes based on where black people are, if they think black people are doing what they think they should be doing and the like. Whereas our relationships tend to be based on loyalty. Explain that loyalty part one more time. I know you've said it before, but it's important to, to uh, reiterate that. Well, I mean, we, I guess we, it's, it must be historic. I mean, we really value loyalty. Um, and we have had so many things happen to us throughout our history. And because we can read the code. I mean, so much as we talk about dog whistles now and we talk about, you know, code. Well, people have been talking in code and dog whistling in terms of black people forever and ever and ever. And we know them all. Soon as a black person hears it, I don't care what part of where you are in life, whatever your station is in life, you know the code words. And so what tends to happen is when we hear those cold words, when we see the, the, uh, the pattern, mm -hmm. um, we immediately gravitate towards each other, even if we don't like each other. <laughs> we immediately start encircling the wagons to make sure that we protect one another. And that's where that loyalty comes through. Yeah, uh, I, I see that loyalty extended uh, even to uh, politicians uh, that are, are not black. Uh, I don't want to get into a Bill Clinton conversation. I'm really uh, irritated with Bill Clinton these days. Not Hillary. OK, I know you're a big Hillary fan, but I, <laughs> Delmarie, I could fill your ear with uh, my irritation of Bill Clinton. But the amount of loyalty that was dumped uh, on Bill Clinton in the 90s uh, by black voters was astounding. I remember that very clearly. And um, he's still, to a certain degree, uh, surfing on that. So I get what you're saying about loyalty. I, I, I want to go back to something uh, else that you mentioned and the importance of black women uh, in uh, close elections for the Democrats. We talked about this last year, or maybe it was a year, already a year and a half ago, uh, in Alabama where Doug Jones uh, defeated Roy Moore, a, a big upset. I don't even know if Doug Jones can uh, get reelected this time around. Right. But uh, 
overwhelming support from black voters, particularly uh, black women. Is your sense of it that Kamala Harris can inspire uh, that kind of uh, turnout uh, among black women uh, in this election cycle? Or do you think it's just a matter of uh, people are going to come out just because Donald Trump is on the ballot and they want to vote against him? Well, I certainly think people are determined to vote against the president who's in office right now. And so I think that's going to be motivation for a lot of black people. But then again, there were a lot of black people who didn't vote in 2016, even though 94% of black women voted for Hillary Clinton. There were still black people who weren't enthusiastic and didn't come out to vote at the same numbers they had voted in 2008 and 2012. And that's one of the reasons why she didn't win. So we're, you know, Joe Biden, what's important about his selection of Kamala Harris is that it says he's listening. It says, I hear you. And I also hear this moment of time that we're in, a time of racial justice, a time when we're calling for racial equity, a time when people are finally opening their eyes to the things that we've been saying for years uh, that have been ignored. And so for him to acknowledge that is major. And then to select a, a black woman who can then go out on the a campaign trail, however, virtually or in physically, and articulate that to black people, that you are heard and we are going to try to do something different because that's what it's going to take. We cannot have more of the same. We need to have something different. And one of the reasons black people didn't come out in 2016 in the numbers they had is because so many of them felt my life isn't going to change no matter who's in office because that's what they saw. They put all their hopes and aspirations into uh, Barack Obama's administration and, and, and they didn't see market change. And so then there became a feeling that if nothing happened when the black man was in office, nothing is going to happen when the white woman is in office. Mm. And so we see that you can't think like that because what will happen is a Donald Trump who really doesn't care anything about you. Yeah. So we've got to make sure that we have the enthusiasm in our community and the energy in our community to turn out the vote. This is really now about turning out the vote. It's also about making sure that we campaign in all 50 states. That's the other thing, is we cannot take any state for granted, no matter what the history, the voting history of that state. All right, uh, and to the point you just raised about uh, turnout, one of the things I've already seen from Donald Trump's campaign, it's a two-prong attack. I mentioned this already, Delmarie. I may have mentioned to you in the car when we were talking. Uh, the first prong is to fire up uh, his base by calling Kamala Harris a radical, a radical lefty, 
uh, and uh, basically trying to put her in the middle of a mob that's smashing windows. Uh, that's essentially what they're trying to do. Uh, on the other hand, they're putting out the notion uh, that uh, she is a centrist who sold out uh, uh, liberal Democrats or lefty Democrats, and uh, you're going to hear a lot about her record uh, as a, a prosecutor in California back in the O's in terms of prosecuting a marijuana cases. So uh, that second argument is sort of a nihilistic appeal uh, to to lefties and Democrats. Just don't bother. There's really no difference. She's not going to help you. So just don't turn out. And that, I think, is as important as rallying his base. Fire up his base by presenting her, uh, depicting her uh, as an extremist, and then sort of uh, lulling the other side into alienation by presenting her as a sellout. Uh, Do you think that's an effective strategy for Trump? I think it certainly will be their strategy. I don't know that it will necessarily be an effective strategy because he's done so much damage at this point that a lot of people just aren't going to fall for that. But the other thing that he will fall victim to is, and he's already started, and that is this whole thing that he does when it comes to women. And you've already heard him call her nasty. And I don't think there's anything nastier than calling a woman nasty. Uh, And he seems to do that to any woman who he doesn't like. And again, for black women, that is just more incentive to turn out and vote because if somebody calls you nasty, they may as well be calling you the B word and every other word that uh, women just find completely offensive. And so uh, I know for me, the more he says that, I'm going to be dragging 20 women to the polls if I have to. Uh, the other concern I had, I think I may express this to you as well. Uh, Kamala Harris did not do that well, obviously, uh, when she was running for office. And in particular, she did not do that well with uh, black voters uh, who went for Joe Biden in those pivotal states uh, after New Hampshire. Uh, do you Are you concerned about that at all? Well, I think part of that, too, was we didn't know her. Even though she was black, a lot of people didn't know her. And there was no one who came out and endorsed her, who affirmed her like they did Barack. Uh, If you remember when Barack Obama first started running for president, the majority of the black caucus was for Hillary because Mm -hmm. of relationships. If you remember, John Lewis was for Hillary. In fact, the day that John Lewis pulled his support from Hillary and gave it to Barack Obama, he cried. And when they asked him why was he crying, he said, because they're my friends. Mm -hmm. It was that kind of endorsement that Ann Oprah Winfrey and people like that who came out for Barack that got black people to say, oh, well, if these people are endorsing him, even though I don't know him, maybe not only is this an opportunity to make history, but maybe he's the right person who will do the right thing by us. And so that never happened for Kamala Harris. Right, exactly. All right. Uh, so let's shift uh, to talk a little uh, local politics. Uh, Delmarie Cobb is also an expert on local politics. And uh, the uh, in the aftermath of the looting that went down in Chicago on Monday, uh, what impact, uh, Delmarie, do you think that's going to have on the presidential campaign? 
Well, I think I hope people understand. I know, and I know that the city and the police and all, you know, everybody seems to be saying that this was that the the the, uh, the protesting, and it wasn't protesting. So first of all, that's a misnomer. Uh, it was looting. It was looting, plain and simple. That was the only thing they had in mind. That was the whole purpose of going to these stores. Uh, it wasn't to make a statement. Um, and people are saying protesters, people are saying, uh, conflating it with um, the young man who was shot in Inglewood. I don't think that was the impetus. Um, I just, it was just too organized, it was too orchestrated to have been impromptu, to, be, to have been spontaneous. I think this was planned because they got away with it uh, in May and early June. And so it was just waiting for the right time to do it again. And I firmly believe that they'll wait and do it again. Um, those of us who have been protesting and activists all our lives, my first protest was in high school when I sat in and got suspended for 10 days for sitting in because we wanted a we wanted black history in school and we wanted a black teacher to teach the black history. That was my first protest. I have protested keeping Providence Hospital open when they were gonna close it. I protested keeping the Rosenwald building from being demolished. I mean, I protested every, you, can, you can't imagine how many things I've protested. And I was in the protest most recently um, so I can tell you, and I also advocated for protests Black Friday after Laquan McDonald. I wrote a column Wednesday, the day before Thanksgiving, calling for protesters to go downtown to Michigan Avenue to protest and stop the stores from doing business so that we could get rid of McCarthy. And we did get rid of McCarthy right after that. That's the way you strategically protest. What, what happened on North Michigan Avenue this weekend, what did that accomplish? And it muddled our argument. If your argument is to defund the police, how do you then make that case when the police, uh, when you, you have lawlessness? How do you make that case? That doesn't help your case. The other thing that I, that I did find offensive, however, was the white community talking about feeling unsafe and the white aldermen talking about people feeling unsafe on the north, on the Gold Coast, and then leaving. Well, black people feel unsafe every day on the south and west side, and that is why they're leaving, and that's why they've left. 250,000 black people have left the city of Chicago since 2000 for that very reason. And if the city would invest in the black community instead of, instead of not disinvesting for 40, for 40 years, we wouldn't have people going downtown trying to take what other people have because they would have reason to stay in their own communities and protect what they have. But when you don't have anything, you have nothing to lose. Uh, I uh, I know what you're saying, Del Marie, and I got to tell you uh, on a personal level, 
uh, I'm not equating anything I went through to what any any what went down in Chicago, but uh, I had a story already ready ready to go for the reader a column about inequities in Chicago, and uh, then I woke up to discover there had been looting, so I had to rewrite it. <laughs> uh, poor poor pitiful me, it happens to us all. But the point is this: I reason I had to rewrite it in part was because I knew that uh, my audience would be not receptive at all to uh, an article pointing out or a column pointing out the inequities in the city and how unfair they are and the detrimental impact they have on people's lives. That in the aftermath of the looting, uh, people were going to feel their inner Donald Trump, their inner Richard J. Daley, their inner George Wallace, and uh, there would be a certain amount of hard-heartedness and backlash. I knew that. And so... I kind of adjusted it to try to make the case that, you know, when you continue uh, to perpetuate these kinds of inequalities, there are consequences to it. And we're seeing the consequences. But I, I got a feeling, Delmarie, on deaf ears at this moment. Uh, do you share my sense of gloominess about that? Or do you think I'm being too pessimistic? No, I, I think you're being anticipatory. Um, but I also want to ask the question, it's almost the same as racism. You know, I often, when I talk to young white people about inequities and, and, and things, I sort of look at the look on their faces while I'm talking to them. And the look is, they don't understand, you know, this doesn't make sense. Why wouldn't you do so-and-so, so-and-so to help people? And I just say to them, you know what? I see you're trying to make sense of what I'm saying. Racism doesn't make sense. So you're not gonna make sense of what I'm saying. Well, it's the same way with disinvestment, which is a form of racism. It doesn't make sense. You disinvest in these communities for 40 years and you expect people to stay contained within their communities never to spill out in your community. And I remember when I was a TV reporter and I would go to a white community and there had been a killing or something that took place. Very rare, always. And when I would interview the white residents, the first thing they would say is, nothing like this ever happens in our community. This is unbelievable. Oh. And, and I'm always, and I was always thinking, and of course, as a reporter, I have to be objective, but that doesn't mean my mind went on vacation while I was interviewing them. And I'm always thinking, so what did you think? That you had moved far enough? That you were white enough? That you were rich enough? That none of these things that happened to other people would ever touch you? So yes, it is spilling out to your community because you cannot keep it contained. It's been contained for 40 years. Uh, Delmarie, you said something, I, I wrote it down, I scribbled it down. I wanted to just to get a clarification or an ampl amplification. Uh, we were talking about uh, the people who did the looting. They got away with it in June. Uh, they, they figured they'd get away with it again. What did, we, what did you mean by that? 
Well, they overwhelmed the, the police. They came in such big, large numbers that they overwhelmed the police and they were able to successfully go from commercial corridor to commercial corridor to commercial corridor all over the city and suburbs and loot and ransack, ransack these stores. And so in essence, they got away with it. And it was only a matter of time. I mean, the hope was that that was one and done. All of us hope that, because if you're a, a business owner, I don't care what kind of business you own. Uh, I've been a small business owner for 30 years. I've been struggling for 30 years. If you're a small business owner, people look at you and they think you have something because most people don't understand how money works. And yes, I may have a little more than you, but I'm not rich and I'm struggling. And if you hurt me, if you destroy what I have, I'm gonna be in the same shape as you. The idea that we have insurance and that's gonna take care of it, insurance doesn't take care of your life savings, your entire life savings is put into a business and you think insurance is gonna take care of it? And what, you're gonna be back like new? Yeah, uh, and uh, that leads me to the local fallout. I know you must have feelings about this. Uh, the press conference that took place in the aftermath where uh, Mayor Lightfoot uh, raised uh, the possibility that there had not been enough prosecution f from the, the May-June uh, unrest and the reporter countering by saying, uh, you know, could you be a little more specific? Uh, what do you mean by this? Clearly, he was wanted her to spell it out, and she said, "I'm not going to. Don't bait me. I'm not going to uh, go there. Don't bait me." Uh, so, do you think there was enough prosecution? Uh, to me, it seemed like Lori Lightfoot was throwing Kim Fox under a bus. How did you read it? Well, I mean, it's the same talking points that have been going on since Eddie Johnson and Rahm Emanuel. Those are the same talking points. The talking points didn't change. All you got are two different faces. And what are those talking points? Is everybody else's fault but ours? If 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 Kim Fox would do her job, we wouldn't have this problem. Well, if you have a murder clearance rate of twenty percent. That means 80% are being solved. And if you close them based on exceptional circumstances, they still aren't being solved. They're being closed. So what is the deterrent for crime if you can get away with murder? Absolutely. And as, and as Kim Fox said, I thought the most important statement she made was, her office is the last responder, not the first responder. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, uh, I think there's a lot of ganging up on uh, Kim Fox going on, and uh, you're right. It's not the first time. Uh, she's an easy target uh, in many ways because she is trying to, uh, to, to uh, bring a little quote-unquote reform to our criminal justice system and not just lock people up. And so uh, you can frame her as soft on crime. That becomes the law and orders versus soft on crime narrative and yeah. but what i'm very happy about is that she 
um, stood up, that she held a news conference, that she didn't let it stand, that she didn't let it take on legs, uh, that she said, you know, I'm going to push back because let's really address the problem at hand. The problem at hand is the fact that every study has said the reason for the violence is a lack of opportunity. You can't close 50 schools. You can't close six of 12 mental health care centers. Who needs more mental health care than black people? The people on the north side, on the Gold Coast, they're now unsafe. They feel unsafe. Their security has been rattled. Chicago as they know it has changed. Imagine that every day of your life. Imagine not being able to sit on your porch. Imagine not being able to play outside your house. Imagine the grandfather who was having ice cream with his grandchildren in the kitchen and got killed. Do you, what do you think about the safety of those people and the trauma on their lives? And at four years old, you see, you're seeing this in your community and you're gonna grow up to be a normal human being? I'm with you, Delmarie. I'm with you 100%. You know that. Uh, all right, let's close with you giving an example. I cannot let you leave this show <laughs> without giving an example. Talk about pleading to deaf ears. I could go on and on about the TIF program. I will refrain. Instead, I'll allow you just to talk about one huge capital project that uh, the powers that be in our region have ignored for all these years, even though it might have worked to the better. It's hard to see it working to the benefit in the middle of uh, a pandemic. Delmarie, it's hard to see anything working in the advantage from an economic development standpoint in the middle of a pandemic. But uh, presumably this pandemic won't last forever. And uh, so talk about the big uh, economic development project uh, for the south side and the south suburbs that is being ignored for years? Well, you know, um, this, the Tribune did a, an op-ed uh, in June uh, when it looked like the south suburban airport was gaining some steam. And in the Tribune's op-ed, one of the questions at the very end was because they were saying that the south suburban airport was pie in the sky. And one of the things they asked at the very end is, where is your plan B? And I thought, how insulting is that? Because I begged a question, where is your plan A when it comes to black people? Where is your plan A for the south side and the west side? You don't have one. We don't have a plan A for black people, but you're gonna ask black people and the, and the elected officials, the people who are on the south and west side, who are, are elected officials, who are in the south suburbs and on the south side, in the Chicago Southland, you're going to be paternalistic and say to them, I in my ivory tower at the Tribune know more about you than you do, and you represent the people on the south side. Yes, the south suburban airport that should be your plan A, because you don't have a plan A or B for the South Side other than the South Suburban Airport. And when you look at 
the Alliance Airport in Texas that has um, that was um, built during the same period that we've been fighting for the South Suburban Airport. During the 30 years that we've been fighting, they have created 60, over 60,000 jobs and generated an economic impact over $75 billion in that same period. And that airport was built by Ross Perot because he didn't have to ask anybody. He just did it out of his own pocket. So imagine what we've lost. Yeah, Chicago has squandered one opportunity after another over the last 40 years. It's about as long as I've been in the city and watched it uh, in real time. I actually believe, Delmarie, that the prevailing theory that uh, the strategy, I should say, that the planners followed uh, which outlaid uh, in uh, in the 1970s when Richard J. Daley was the mayor was to build out from the loop uh, in, a, in an ever increasing circle circle that would eventually uh, gentrify most of that area and force poor, poor people out of it and bring uh, middle class wealthier people to Chicago. To a certain degree, they were successful, and uh, what happened on Tuesday was like a frightening moment uh, for everybody who lives in that area. And for the strategists who are following that strategy, uh, and, uh, and so I don't know what they're going to do now. Do you know what I'm saying? Delmarie, I don't know if they're going to alter their planning strategies, which I seriously doubt. Uh, it's not just the, the South Suburban Airport, which is such an obvious example. It's also extending the uh, red line to the end of the city, go ahead. Well, that's what I often say, uh, Ben. In fact, I always say, in fact, the biggest applause line that David Moore got at a news conference he held on the, on the South Suburban Airport for the Southland, and he had all these elected officials who came to his ward in June to do a news conference around the South Suburban Airport in the Southland and stop pitting us against each other, the South suburbs, the city, the this, the that, we're the South land, we're regional. The biggest applause line he got, and by the way, we got no media coverage, was imagine for a moment, the Metro line where he was standing in Auburn Gresham, the extension of the red line to 130th Street, the extension of the Metro line from University Park to the South Suburban Airport site, which is only five miles. Imagine the South Suburban Airport, all four of those infrastructure projects being built at the same time on the South side. Imagine. And none of them are currently being built. All right, it's so gloomy, this conversation. Let's try to uh, end it on an on a upbeat. Do you have any uh, uh, news about Ida's legacy that you want to share with people? Any upcoming events or... Uh, Anything that you want no, to share? No, we don't have any upcoming events just yet. We're, we're of course, looking at how we, we had some. And, of course, like everybody else, the, the pandemic changed everything that was on the calendar. So we're having to be creative. And um, we're going to certainly do something around uh, the 100th anniversary of a woman's right to vote and the role that black suffragists played in that. Uh, because uh, the black suffragists 
were very instrumental in a woman's right to vote, even though they were not getting the woman's right to vote at that time. All right, very good. Delmarie, thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Stay uh, safe and sound. We'll talk to you soon, okay? Okay, talk to you later. That's great, Delmarie Cobb. And uh, I didn't mean to get so gloomy there, but she was absolutely correct. Uh, the city has been following a certain pattern of disinvestment for as long as I can remember. And uh, as, yeah, people don't really care. You know, they get hard-hearted. A lot of people do uh, in the aftermath of what went down on Tuesday. But, you know, I said it yesterday, I'll say it again. Say it, say it. You, you can't just criticize the people of the other race. Sometimes you have to look in the mirror yourself. So I know that when I woke up uh, on Tuesday morning or Monday morning, a lot of white people everywhere were saying this, that, and the other thing to each other. But you know what? Why don't you take a look at the policies of the people that you've uh, voted into office year after year after year and maybe take a look in the mirror? All right, D, I'm going to get off my soapbox there. Well, my goodness, I, I look up on my screen and who do I see? I, the, the, the distinctive, good looking. Look, I thought it was a movie star, Monroe Anderson, uh, kicking back in, <laughs> in his chair, ready to talk politics. D, I didn't even know you were doing that. You're getting pretty good at that, uh, Google Meet. Got to give you credit. Monroe, welcome to the show. Uh, good afternoon. Uh, I just got off the phone uh, with a conversation with Delmarie Cobb. I was uh, a little gloomy because in the, we, we went on a riff about how uh, the city has been disinvesting uh, in uh, poor uh, South Side neighborhoods for so long. And we're sort of seeing the uh, consequence of it uh, as we speak. Uh, so um, let's shift to a, a brighter, more optimistic uh, story, uh, and that is how Kamala Harris's presence on uh, the ticket with Joe Biden will lead to a Democratic sweep uh, in November. Is that how you see things? Oh, for sure, for sure. I mean, it, it was it was a brilliant move on uh, on Biden's behalf. Now, why do you say that? Because what it does is, first of all, his the Democrats' greatest blo uh, voting block black, black women. Mm -hmm. And they will be very excited about this. But also white women, the, uh, the suburban housewives, as Trump, Trump calls them, will also be very excited because there's a woman on the ticket and she's, her name's not Hillary. <laughs> uh, yeah, the the thing with Hillary, because Hillary would have been a, uh, about a hundred times better a president than Trump has been, but the the right spent a billion dollars over twenty years mm -hmm. demonizing her, and she didn't help it. Um, and 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 some of her arrogance that that kicked in in the campaign. So, because I can remember when when I voted for Hillary, um, there was this um, very um, well coughed white woman, maybe in her forties, and she she said she voted for Hillary, but she said it like very reluctantly, like well she voted for, her, but she wasn't excited about it or anything. I think Kamala, except for the 
extreme right and extreme left, Kamala is going to uh, stoke a lot of excitement. I mean, you see it already. Well, all right. I'm going to ask you some of the same questions I asked Elmarie. And the one of the things that struck me from the get go is that it was a two prong attack that Trump has had uh, on Kamala Harris. The first, obviously, is to paint her as a radical leftist. And the other is to uh, paint her uh, as a Wall Street sellout. It's interesting little contrast. Uh, One, uh, obviously, one appeal is made uh, meant for lefties like myself to try to get us less enthusiastic about uh, Kamala Harris and the ticket so that we may not vote. And the other is to fire up the base. So uh, what's your thoughts on this tactic? Uh, The problem with that is that she, uh, Kamala is almost, not quite, but almost as middle of the road as Biden is. (laughs) There's nothing, there's nothing particularly radical about her. Um, at all. So he's going to try that. He, he's also said that she's uh, phony and, and of course she's nasty because all, all women that um, oppose him are nasty. Right? And it's only women, interestingly enough. So he has no, he, 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 he has not quite figured out a nickname for her yet. And, and he's changed um Joe's nickname from from um, uh, Sleepy Joe to Slow Joe. (laughs) (laughs) Slow Joe, I missed that. I missed that change. Exactly, right, exactly. I guess I guess Joe woke up and said, "I better get off." (laughs) Is this official? I mean, uh, is, is this a final? Or is he, does he reserve the right to go back to Sleepy? If uh, that he may go back to Sleepy, he does. The thing is, nothing is sticky. You know, he has a campaign that was tailor made for um, <clears throat> Bernie, <laughs> but it doesn't work on Joe. The nicknames, the the oh, he's so radical. In fact, with with. Uh, with Biden, what Trump is saying is that he's captive of the radicals. Yes. C and Bernie and and uh, Pocahontas, he's back to that. You know, and uh, his problem is that we have a thousand Americans dying every day from the virus that he hasn't done anything with. And so uh, name calling is not as cute as it used to be. They'd rather him um, deal with the virus than than coming up with the same old tired names. He's not even creative about the nicknames. He, He uses the same ones. Uh, and so what about the uh, the other aspect uh, that uh, the left will get disillusioned and won't uh, show up uh, much like what happened in 2016? Uh, that's not going to happen. That's, that's not. That's not, that won't happen this time um, because again, um, well, Kamala is a much more endearing retail politician than Hillary was. 
And 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 um, she, I mean, do, do do you remember her when she launched her presidency? Who, Kamala uh, or Hillary? Yeah, Kamala. Yeah, I was. Yeah. Uh, go ahead, finish your thought. Twenty mm-hmm. thousand people showed more than for Obama showed up when she launched her her candidacy. Now, of course, the weather was much nicer in Oakland than it was in Springfield. That may have been a factor. Yeah. But anyway. She had a huge crowd. Yeah, no, I listen, I, I began the show by reminiscing about how uh, I was one of the few people uh, that was openly enthusiastic about Kamala or, or, or in the early stages of the Democratic uh, nomination, uh, yeah. the debates, etc. used to come in. I would sing her praise. Yeah. Uh, and you were a little more cautious yes. about uh, praising her. Uh, you were an Elizabeth Warren fan. Right. And that was uh, your candidate. Uh, right. And I was really impressed as I've said many times, but the way she went after Joe Biden and right. where uh, I was disappointed was in how uh, incapable she was at defending her own record and even just expressing anything resembling like, like maybe remorse. This is somehow difficult for politicians, Monroe. And you know this because you've watched them for years and years and you've tried to advise others. Yeah, yeah because part of the problem for them is that um, when they make those mistakes, that becomes ammunition for their opponents. And so they, they're reluctant to say, yep, I blew that one. Mm-hmm. I mean, which is, and, and, and that, the thing is, Biden is at a point between his age and his polls where he can admit to mistakes. <laughs> Yeah, I, 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 I had to <laughs> I do it another way. <laughs> I'm ten points ahead. Of, I'm ten points ahead of, of Trump. I'm, I'm Seventy-eight years old. So. <laughs> oh yeah. So now look. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> the ninety, the ninety-four crime bill was a mistake. And he, he's apologized for it. He's, he blew it. And, um, and all is forgiven. Yeah. Well, it, it's not forgiven by all. It's yeah. forgiven. The, the hope is, is that the people who have forgiven him uh, turn out and vote for him. And I want to point out, it was a very popular bill when it was passed. Right. Uh, exactly. And there's, uh, exactly. You know, you know, let me tell you, no, that, that was definitely um, unintentional consequences. With yeah. thing where, um, he uh, B- Biden almost single-handedly gave us um, gangster rap. <laughs> yeah, I, I listen. I still have a hard time jumping on the Joe Biden bandwagon, but I've totally bought into your theory, which is Joe go to the basement and just let Donald Trump self-destruct. Right, because Monroe every weekend. Yes. When I get an opportunity to follow Trump more closely during the weekend, just the way my life is, yeah, I have to admit it's like a train wreck. Right. Uh, I haven't even had a chance to go into the executive orders for the. You know, this is how uh, the week has gone, Monroe, because yeah. we, the looting in Chicago t- took over everything in our, our our little political universe, and that's what we talked about. I was all set to talk about the executive orders. You follow about you know Donald yeah. Trump's maddening executive orders and how one yeah. could 
potentially right. destroy Social Security in our country. Right. And and you know, Medicare and Medicare and Medicare. Yeah. Right. You know, uh, but so much has been overwhelmed. And, and, and he intends to do that if he gets a second term. That's that's, that's high right. on the list of things to do. Explain that. He, he has said more than once that he wants to reduce Medicare and Social Security. Because that's 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 what the um, right wants. Mm hmm. And he's, um, you know, uh, the man who 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 seven years ago um, contributed to Kamala Harris's campaign <laughs> is, is now a far right winger. You, you you know that he and Ivanka gave her money, right? Uh, how much did they give her? I can't remember. They they, they pretty much they gave Rahm Emanuel fifty grand. Did they give her fifty grand? I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. They, they they contributed. I'm not sure. Donald Trump used no, to be a Democrat. Donald I, Trump used to be pro-choice. I, I, I know. Donald Trump. Uh, Donald Trump has been everything. Yeah. So he has created this political persona for himself, which he has peddled uh, to uh, the Republican Party. Right. They've bought it. He controls them now. He owns them now. I don't know right. if he believes the things he say. It doesn't matter if he believes them. He's saying them and he's trying to implement them. And that's his. That's no, why I, I keep. Well, I think uh, um, uh, um, psych, psychotic liars believe what they say for the moment. You know, that's, that's, that, that, that's what makes them convincing liar is they do believe it, but it's, they believe it until they believe something else. Well, this particular uh, issue that we're talking about, it has to do with the payroll tax uh, and Donald Trump proposed, he had an executive order. Lord knows what it even means. Uh, right. He had an ex executive order that he issued from his country club on Saturday. It's so bizarre to think yeah, that with this the, with, with the, with his, his uh, members of his country club, who paid three hundred and fifty thousand dollars each to be a member, as as his audience, because that's he needs an audience. So, mm -hmm. well, they were they were um, booing the press and clapping for him in in, in, in the in the background. It wasn't a lot of them, you know. He likes thousands, and there was maybe a, uh, a couple of dozen. Yeah, and uh, so he used this opportunity uh, to, among other things, uh, introduce or uh, uh, sign an executive order that would defer the payroll tax for at least a year. Nobody really knows if it's a legitimate, like the executive order will have a legitimate. A legitimate impact, you know, like will actually companies yeah, free Congress controls the money. Yeah. So we don't even know how uh, legal it is. We right. don't know uh, if the companies themselves will follow it because it's just deferring it. So it's going right. to have to be paid next year. Right. So, and it's additional paperwork. It's more of a, 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 a bookkeeping uh, yeah. headache for them. But the reality, it does 
it means the money is not going into uh, the Social Security Trust Fund. Right. Uh, and so it does, as you say, Monroe, set up the possibility. This is this is an old trick. This is such an old trick. You deplete government of the money it needs to pay its basic expenses. Then you use the deficit as an argument to close government down. This is a Republican strategy that they followed for years. Right. Uh, going like mayors in Chicago have also followed it. Yeah, and, and, right. And they're doing it to the post office, the postal service. Yes. So, because the Republicans want to privatize it. Yeah. So I um, I don't know. Uh, when Donald Trump does something like this, like Monroe, I look at the and I say to myself, in what universe is this popular? In what universe is uh, potentially destroying Social Security, you know, a winning a ticket uh, for re-election. It's sort of like, I understand denouncing Obamacare because the people you're denouncing it to despise Obama. Right. Okay. They may not, they may enjoy the health care they get, yeah, but they despise Obama. Yeah. But Obamacare is, is popular. Trump made Obamacare popular. <laughs> it wasn't before he took well, office, but now it's it's. I think we may have lost our connection with Monroe Anderson there, D. We may drop the connection. He was in the middle of saying something about Obamacare. Yeah, and typically uh, it kind of freezes and it comes back. But uh, yeah, it looks like I'm just seeing a frozen picture there of Monroe. <laughs> looking good. He's guy. looking good. Yeah, he's got that nice smile on his face. Looking very good. Oh, oh here he goes. Monroe, are you there? Yeah. Oh. We, we, we lost you for a we while. We have something with him? Uh, yeah, but you're, you're back. You're working. Finish your thoughts about uh, Obamacare. Yeah, and I thought you were bringing up Trump. Oh, my God. Now you sound clear. This is perfect. Just do this, what you have here right now, Monroe. We've had some troubles all day. Go ahead. Finish your thoughts. Okay. Okay. Um, Pre-existing conditions. He's he's claiming that he's for them, you know, for protecting them. But he has a lawsuit. His, His administration has a lawsuit in court that would kill it. So he's lying about it for political reasons, and he's trying to destroy it for crazy reasons. I don't know why he's trying to, do, to destroy it, except some some of his um, very rich friends would rather not have it around. Well, it gets at to the same point I was making about Social Security. I do not see like a consist- constituency for destroying what little health care we have. I don't see a constituency for destroying Social Security. Uh, if anything, it seems like it would play into the hands of Joe Biden. And uh, well, this is why Joe Biden is going to win <laughs> by a landslide, because Trump and the Republicans, his, his, his appeasers, are doing everything that makes no sense politically whatsoever. For example, the Republican Senate has gone home not providing um, any money for millions, maybe 20 million, some incredible amount of Americans who have lost their jobs, who may be homeless, um, who are in, in food lines, uh, food drive lines for miles. They've waited up to eight hours in their cars, burning up precious gas. 
um, to, to get get food so they can feed their families. And the Republicans are just going, do, 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 It's amazing. <laughs> the, the Democrats has have they had a, a a bill they call it the hero bill, mm-hmm. <laughs> but anyway it's the hero bill. But they've had a bill to take care of everybody, and it's, they passed it um, two months ago, and it's been sitting on Mitch Mitch uh, Moscow Mitch's desk. And um, finally, a, a couple of weeks ago, he deigned to paste the, he and the Republicans deigned to take a look at it. And um, then the, they came up with something far less for the, the voters and the American people, uh, because they're now suddenly concerned about the, um, the, the deficit. Mm. Uh, they weren't concerned about it when they were giving all the billionaires and corporations huge tax cuts. But now they're concerned about the future of of the children again. And so theirs is far more stingy. And they took a, a love it or leave it attitude. That an airplane? Yeah, uh, that's the tr- just the good old brown line going Oh, by. the brown line. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. Yeah. I want to make sure you were being... Uh, no, I will tell you this though. Uh, on uh, on Monday, on top of everything else, I thought the house was going to blow away uh, when the in the windstorm. Uh, I I was uh, the brown line was nothing uh, compared uh, to the windstorm. All right, so Monroe, uh, it's time for you to make one more of your fearless uh, predictions. Uh, is Monroe still there? I think he froze on us again. D. It's going to close with a prediction from Monroe. And, He'll be coming uh, back here. Hey, we want to remind everybody to send us an email, Show at gmail.com, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J, show at gmail.com. We would love to hear your thoughts. You can also <laughs> send us a voicemail, 708-658-4788. Our good friend Dragonslayer19 sent us a voicemail. Yeah, he was uh, giving Ben a hard time about that Kamala Kool-Aid. Uh, suddenly it came back into the Ben Jarofsky household. Ben, take a little sip of that Kool-Aid, actually. Uh, give us a little review on how it's tasting. All right, hold on. Let me see how it's going. <laughs> As the brown line goes by. Mmm. I love Kamala even more at this moment than I did yesterday. All right. Oh, I, but boy. The, it is it is true. I'm probably the only man uh, in the city of Chicago really excited about Kamala Harris uh, being on the ticket. And uh, listen, I just want Trump out of office. I think we have uh, lost Monroe, so we're going to close it down, D. Hey, listen, everybody. They all can't be zingers, all right? Live stream, <laughs> yeah. chat room, and downloaders. Uh, so, yeah, let's just go ahead and close this one out, pal. All right, very good. Uh, I want to thank uh, Demarie Cobb. I want to thank Monroe Anders. We had a few technical difficulties today. Yeah, but, did I pay uh, my internet bill? I got to look around here. I'll tell you something about the, the, the doctor. He works wonders with the editing when it's all said and done. And the podcast audience won't have a clue. Uh, or just maybe a mini clue. Anyway, thank you very much, Delmarie Cobb. Thank you very much, Monroe Anderson. And thank you very much to the miracle man, okay? The doctor, the pride and joy of all Illinois, who will really earn his pay today. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everyone. 